Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the host of the Grind, Sell, Elevate podcast, a sales mentorship and consulting entrepreneur and the vice president of an insurance company. It's Tizer Evans. How are you doing today, Tizer? Good, Alex. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to learn all about your Rise to the Challenge. First thing we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be happy to. So uh, I'm from Cloverdale, California. Probably uh, nobody listening to this has heard it unless you're from there. Um, so I grew up in uh, Sonoma County, the last city in Sonoma County. It's a town of about 5,000 people. Um, what's really interesting, it's beautiful, right? I grew up in the vineyards, set on the Russian River, uh, We've got, but we've only got three stoplights in my hometown. So, you know, um, yeah, pe- people uh, tend to get into a little bit of trouble. So and that's kind of my childhood was interesting. It was very country. Um, I lived in a double wide out on a middle of nowhere, eight miles outside of my hometown. Um, both my parents had struggled, struggled with addiction uh, most of my childhood. Um, so, so I had a, you know, really kind of extreme childhood to some degree, kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of good parts. It was very safe where I grew up. So I spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, I grew up in a very much a hunting, fishing, car building family. I didn't get any of those genes by chance. Um, yeah, so, so I, I lived there until um, I went to college. I went to college down in San Diego, and I just kind of never looked back. I left at 18, and I just had made up my mind early on that I saw how people would get trapped. You know, a lot of people started using drugs or drinking just because they get bored in those small towns. There's not much to do. They have kids young, they get into addiction issues. And it's not everybody, but a lot of people. And I just said, Hey man, I want to be able to create a life that's something different. And so I just uh, had promised myself I would get out the, the first opportunity I had. So I graduated high school in June and was gone in August and um, you know, and just kind of bounced around since then. Growing up in that small town, did it teach you a lot about yourself or things that you had to learn, like life skills, quicker because of the atmosphere you were living in? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's interesting being in sales. Uh, one of the things I don't talk about very often that I should, but growing up in, in um, you know, somewhat of an extreme environment, I'm always like, I, you know, I'm not someone that likes to live in their story, right? I don't see myself as a victim. I saw myself as probably someone that, I need to go through this experience for my own growing and learning lessons. Um, but, you know, when you're in a state of fear a lot as a, as a little person, um, you develop a really keen sense of other people's emotions. And, you know, like, did I smile wrong? Did I say the wrong thing? Is that going to set somebody off? Did I give someone the wrong look? If I just happen to be in the room, maybe that's not good for somebody. And so as I got older, it actually really played to my benefit in sales because I'm able to pick up on um, body language and tonality much, much, much better than my peers, which gave me a competitive edge in sales because I'm able to really tell people when I'm losing them in the sales process or when they're thoroughly engaged or when I need, I'm being too aggressive, I need to back off. So that was you know, a big life skill um, that I learned. Um, early on was to have a, a it just kind of came innately was to have for you know, really safety um, was to have a high EQ. I was one of those things. And, and really something that our, our kids are really missing right now. And I have a four and six year old boy, uh, little boys. And so I try to instill in them is like, it's okay to be bored, right? Like growing up in a town with one pizza joint, 
<laughs> one high school, one elementary, you know, we had to be at three schools. Like those are the schools you went to. There's no movie theater. There's no mall. All that stuff was 40 minutes away. So you had to learn how to entertain yourself. And it helped you know, me to be a really creative person um, as much as I'm a logical person. So I got really into creative writing and drawing. And so I think that that's helped with the podcast, right? You got to have a creative mind to be able to build a brand. And I've started a few businesses. And so I think that that was another skill that helped me just uh, have that imagination play when I was smaller because uh, we didn't really have an option. I think you brought up a great point with understanding body language and stuff, because that's a huge thing that a lot of people aren't taught in when they're growing up or in classes. And I think nowadays with the whole social media and stuff, people are worried about kind of saying the wrong thing or, and I think with sales, it definitely helps because you're able to analyze those situations and know what direction do you need to go in instead of taking a longer route to get to that spot you wanted to be in. With your parents going through the addiction, was there anyone that you could reach out to and like have be able to help you in any situation? Yeah, so my both my grandparents, um, my 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 mom's parents, and my, my dad's parents were a little bit farther away, and they, I wasn't as connected with them, but they were there if I needed them. But my mom's parents, I became really really close with, and they became kind of came my safety net, and um, like it, it just yeah, those were my fondest memories as a child was going to their house on the weekends. And that was the only time I ever ate out at restaurants. You know, like I, I went to movie theaters, I'd go to the mall. Um, I, I tell this people, people, and uh, you know, I, I think I cannot remember really a time that I ever went out as a family to a restaurant to eat dinner. It's just not something we, we couldn't really afford it. So that's not what we did. So that was like a big luxury, although, you know, it's a different perspective now as an adult uh, who's, who's made money, but you know, I thought like Applebee's, you know, the only places they would take me, you know, and I thought that, well, I thought that was great. I thought that was like a luxury. Hey, th- there's nothing wrong with Applebee's. You're right. You know, so, <laughs> the, you know, Olive Garden, you hit, hit, hit up the OG and, you know, crush all the breadsticks or red lobster. Um, but yeah, they were very instrumental. And my, my grandfather was a great role model for me and a very safe male figure that um, I depended and relied on a lot. Are there things that you're taking that you didn't have the opportunity to do with your family that you're utilizing today with your family that you're doing, like eating as a family, making sure you're spending those times with each other? Oh, definitely. You know, um, it's hard as busy as my life is. Um, You know, I was telling you before we got on camera, my wife was getting her hair done in downtown Houston, which is about 45 minutes from where I live. And it was just me and and the kids. But like, you know, this I don't have on like my cell phone. You know, I, I put it down and I walk away and I'm very present with them. So we're out playing basketball and, you know, jumping on the trampoline. We're out riding bikes. So I try to be very present with them to help nurture them and, and to, to grow them. Uh, we go every, usually every Friday, we go eat out at a restaurant as a family. Um, we, my wife and I, my wife grew up polar opposite of I did. You know, her, she, she grew up uh, very, very well to do. And her parents have been married for 37 years. Um, and, and so she was fortunate. Her, her parents were able to take her all over the world to travel. And so um, that's something I always wanted to do. So we, I mean, the first vacation we ever took my son on, he was three months, my oldest, the first time I was on a plane and we went to Vail. And so, you know, we take them, uh, we, there's a lot of people that say like, oh, you got to travel before you have kids. And I was like, that's stupid. Like travel with your kids, culture, mm-hmm. your kids, you know, and if you start them young, my four and six year old, they get the drill. They push their suitcases. They know that you go through TSA, like they get, they know the drill now. Um, and so we don't have those growing pains, but they've also traveled a lot. I mean, they both have been private on a plane over 40 or 50 times and they're four and six. 
So yeah. So I've done it differently. Exact, exact opposite of what I went through. <laughs> Growing up, did you have any inspirations or someone that motivated you to keep going and following the path that you wanted? That's a great question. Um, you know, definitely I'd say my, my, my aunt, she was, um, she, she had some of her own problems that she, she went through in her twenties and she really broke out and never went to college or anything, but became an entrepreneur at 35 and then went on to make a, uh, you know, multi, multi-millionaire and own real estate and, and had several businesses. And I got to see a little bit of the other side. She lived in San Francisco and then eventually San Diego. So it was a little bit farther from me. So I didn't get to spend as much time with her, but I got to see this other kind of lifestyle and it really intrigued me. And I was like, Oh wow, she has a cool house and has nice cars and she travels all over the world. And that's something about that just was like, I want that. And I didn't know why. Um, I think it wasn't so much the material things or even the traveling. It was just the freedom that um, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And so, and she was a really good mentor to me uh, throughout um, high school and especially through college and, and, and early on in my career. Growing up, we always are asked that question. What is that dream job? What was that dream job for you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Now that I think about it. Now that I was going to play in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all have those dreams that we hope to accomplish. And then we, it changes path out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> Coming out of high school, being six foot and 170 pounds, I wasn't really getting scouted right and left, uh, you know, with like a 30 inch vertical, not your, not your typical basketball player, but you know, I did learn a lot. Basketball was a saving grace for me in my life because it was, um, allowed me to be able to escape my problems and be able to get out of my own head. Um, it taught me a lot about becoming a leader. It taught me a lot about teamwork. It taught me a lot about discipline and all those skills I've been able to apply in my life. And so I'm really grateful. I went, I mean, I went hardcore. I went to camps all over. I was on traveling teams. I was, I was a decent player. Uh, so it taught me a lot, but never made it to the NBA. <laughs> what brought you to pick basketball? Was there something that caught your attention? You know, it's interesting. Um, I've always had this little chip on my shoulder. I still do it. I just turned 37 last or two weeks ago. And I still got this chip on my shoulder. I don't know if it'll ever go away. Uh, I think it's one of those things that always propels me. And, and uh, so, you know, I always played on what we call the A team. You got A, B, C teams, right? And I always started because I was naturally a good athlete, but I was never like known as like the best player. And I don't know, I was like a little person, you know, I was like fourth, fifth grade. I kind of ate at me. And so I just made up my mind going the summer between fifth and sixth grade. I'll never forget it. I just made up my mind that like I was going to be the best basketball player on the team. And, and I just went out and I, um, I don't know, I don't know what clicked. And I just said, I'm going to do this. And so I got my dad somehow to buy me a hoop, which was rare for us to be able to spend that type of money. And I spent five to eight hours a day for a whole summer, just, just playing. And then I came back that summer and I was one of the best basketball players, um, on the team, right? I moved, I got a bumped up uh, grades to play. Um, and, and so, you know, that, I don't know where that drive came from, but that it showed me that if you apply fanatic discipline to whatever you want, you can go to the next level. You just have to work for it. And that was the first thing in my life that I go, Oh, I just got to work real hard and I can get good at anything. And so I've just kind of taken that mentality that I learned at 12 and applied it to everything in my life. Did you feel you had to prove something because of that? Yeah. 
Was, yeah. it, was it more personal or was there someone out there that was telling you that you couldn't do it? Yeah, I think because of kind of the, I had a bit of a tumultuous relationship with my, my stepfather. Um, and, and, you know, like I was always like the real poor kid that was picked on for the, the clothes I wore. I didn't ever have the Nikes because we couldn't afford them and those types of things. And so I kind of, I don't know if I can swear on this show, Alex. You can. Not, but, you okay. Can. But I was kind of like, fuck all these people. And I'm, I'm going to show them. And um, and so that was kind of like, I took that in basketball and I took it in high school with my grades. And I was like, fuck them, I'm getting out of here. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't really explain where that came from, but I, I just kind of wanted to prove everybody wrong that doubted me or had made fun of me that I will become something and you're all going to watch me do it. I think in my situation, kind of similar, I think kids judge based on your physical appearance and stuff. And I was never the athlete look, but I always called myself a wild card. Like you never know what you're going to get out of me until I get onto the field. And then if I was picked last, I'm like, okay, well, you're going to regret that decision. And usually that's what happens. And I think as I got older, every time someone told me I can't do something or you're not going to be able to do something, I'm like, okay, watch. And I think, especially with the show, I've been able to prove so many people that doubted me and tell them, look what I've done. I have no experience. I did this all by myself and I'm proud of myself. It was something to prove for myself. So I kind of can relate to that with what you were going through. Yeah, no, it's incredible what you've built. You know, it's not easy running a podcast. There's people don't appreciate the amount of time, especially if you're doing your own editing, uh, you know, which I'm sure that you do. And you're making your own videos and your own trailers, and you know, and that takes a lot of time. I know, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. it takes it takes a lot of time. So I completely respect what what you've built. I love when people are like, "You have two jobs, basically." I go, but no, when I'm done with my first job, I come and do this, and I'm happy. It's like a positive thing for me. But I wish people would see the behind the scenes of everything I'm posting because they would realize, "Wow, you put a lot of effort into that." You kind of mentioned earlier, but talk about the pursuit of your education, going to college. What was the next step for you? Yeah. So, you know, um, again, I just, I like to like to push myself. And, and so in high school, I was not, I'll admit, I was not like Val Victorian. I don't have one of those, or, uh, <laughs> I don't have one of those stories, but I was like, I don't know, probably pretty close to top 10 in my class. Um, I, I was a triathlete scholar. Um, so I always got really good grades and, um, and it was because I had a, and I, you know, I was in four clubs. I did speech and debate. I was ASV vice president and I was in, uh, voices for youth interact club. You know, I did all that. Um, just, just cause I, I thought it would help my chances of getting out. Mm-hmm. And that's all I wanted to do was get out and go to school. And so I just wanted to put myself in the best position to, to leave. And I did. And, um, it was interesting. So I got into some of the schools I wanted to, and I went and visited them. But because of my uh, my handicap of growing up in a town of 5,000 people, um, going to a college of 35,000 or 40,000 kids honestly scared the shit out of me. Yeah. It just, you know, <laughs> being, being in a big city, going to a school, it was like six times the town I grew up in. I was like, whoa. So I ended up going to a smaller college in uh, North County, San Diego, which was which is beautiful. Now it's, it's, it's a really big school. Um, and so that was a great experience, you know, getting out and, and living a, a city life and feeling like that was accomplished something, you know, I'm, I'm on my journey. I have no idea where the journey is going to take me. You know, I left, I left my hometown. I worked all summer. I had like 900 bucks to my name. 
I, my aunt, I drove to San Diego, picked up my aunt's van, drove back and drove back to San Diego with the van full of stuff. And, uh, that was it. Ended up living with four guys in an apartment, two bedroom apartment, <laughs> had to find a job. You know, I got, a, I worked at lumber yards, 24 hour fitness, got fired from there. That was interesting. Um, you know, just, I did all kinds of stuff, worked at a surf shop for a couple of years, got fired from there. Um, wow. yeah. So, you know, I, I've had some experiences, man. It's, it's been, it's been a fun ride. Did you want to stay kind of in the same state or close to family that you could still see them, but could be have your distance away where you could live your own life and build a new chapter? Great question. Uh, no, I did not. I did not want to stay in the state. Uh, I got into uh, Chaminade. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's a, it's a private school in Oahu. And um, I thought I would have a realistic chance of playing basketball there. And uh, I also got into Marquette. Um, which is a good, a good school in Wisconsin. And so those were two schools that I really wanted to go to. I decided probably Wisconsin being a California kid, I wouldn't be able to handle the snow well, but going to Hawaii sounded pretty appealing. And yeah. one of my really good friends was going to the university of Hawaii at Manoa uh, on Oahu. So I would only be a couple miles from her, but I couldn't afford it. And I couldn't afford out of state tuition and no one was going to help me pay for college. And so I, I figured San Diego is as far away as I could get with still being in state. And, um, and being on Ford College. So that's what kind of what led to my decision. You talked about living in a two bedroom apartment with four other people. And you're talking about working, trying to make money. Did you ever have the time for personal time and being able to live a fun life instead <laughs> of being working all the time? So my, you know, uh, I was a super senior. So it took me five years to graduate college. Cause I just, I didn't go to, I didn't take summer school. Cause I had, I had I was working and I was just, you know, I, I went to school, um, five days a week and I, and I usually worked six or seven days a week. So it was, it was taxing to do that. I didn't want to do it during the summer. The first couple of years of college, um, I was really reserved. I was very straight edge because I, I saw what addiction problems could do after I turned 21, I loosened up a little bit and I ended up having a lot of fun, especially when I worked in the surf industry, I got to have some really unique experiences. I let myself go out and have fun with friends um, obviously being only 30 miles from Mexico <laughs> was a no. good time. Uh, and so I was down there often and, and I met this, this guy who ended up becoming one of my best friends and, um, really interesting how he's had such a big impact on my life. And he's, he's been passed away now for, I think 12 years uh, he died at 24. Um, but he was my best friend through college and he just, he always told me that he was going to die young. We used to have this conversation. I remember we'd go surfing and we'd smoke a little, a little uh, cannabis after we get done and you know, we'd be having these really kind of deep conversations on the beach. And he goes, he goes, you got to live more, man. You just, you got to say yes to everything. He's like, I know I'm going to die young. And so he's like, I just say yes to everything. And that really impacted me a lot. Like, yeah, like I didn't believe him that he was going to die young. So the fact that he did now still kind of creeps me out, but it just, it, he, he kind of taught me like go hard at everything you do. It doesn't have to be all about work and school, like play hard, you know, enjoy your life experiences. And so I did that and I still do that. Now I have a hard time saying um, no to things that are fun um, because it has to be, it has to be a balance, you know? So definitely. What was the biggest challenge during your college career? Just trying to just, you know, I guess probably being stressed about money, um, you know, living in San Diego and, and is uh, it was the first time in my life coming from a town of, you know, it's such a small town where 
there's not like a lot of wealth there. Although, you know, there are some people that are very wealthy because you're, you're in that, that uh, winery culture, but none of my friends were. And so I had never experienced that. And I go to San Diego and, and people drive, you know, fucking 18, 19 year olds driving new Porsches and Beamers and people judging me. Cause I had an 89 Ford probe that was maroon, you know, it wasn't like a real chick magnet. Uh, so, so, so that was, you know, um, that was interesting. And so money was very scarce because I was making eight fifty an hour at lumberyard when I moved down there. So that was very hard um, to do. I saw my friends who just were given stuff and had stuff and they weren't working. And so that was very mentally um, was hard for me to wrap my mind around. Although I knew it would give me a competitive edge later on, but that, that was definitely very challenging. You know, I had to borrow people, I'd borrow money sometimes to eat. Um, you know, and it's just, just what was what it was. I think that's the hardest part is you see all these people that are given stuff and you realize that you've had to work so hard, but it's going to take you a lot longer. But like you said, it's going to work out in your advantage later in life, because when those kids are cut off, they're not going to know what to do, but you're going to be still grinding and making that money and earning everything that is rewarding in life. A hundred percent. I mean, most, I, I, you know, with the exception of two friends that I'm that are still, um, I'm my best friends. Uh, n- nobody has financially done better than me out of my, my college friends. Wow. And, and, and I think that was mostly because of that, just that, uh, I like, I just, I'm like, you know, my superpowers, I can outwork you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask, you said you got fired at a 24 hour fitness. Yeah. How did you get fired at a 24 hour fitness? <laughs> yeah, it's not a good story, man. It, it's like, it's nothing. I didn't do anything crazy. Nothing crazy happened. It was just, uh, uh, you know, they had those secret shoppers come in and I, I just worked front desk, you know? And so I asked my assistant general manager, I said, Hey, can you cover for me? I got to use the restroom. She didn't a secret shopper walked in. And so they see the front desk unmanned. And so they got a terrible review, terrible write-up, you know, it goes to corporate. They're like, oh, who's the guy working the front desk? And so they checked the cameras. They saw me walk out, but they couldn't, they couldn't really tell that I went over and asked her. Long story short, they pulled me into the office and they're going to give me a write-up. And I told the general manager, I go, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not signing this. And so we got into it and I basically told her to fuck off and that I could go get another job that pays me $7 an hour down the street. And she goes, well, you should do that because you're fired. I'm like, oh, okay. So mentally, did that kind of affect you in a way or were you able to just, okay, moving on now? Yeah, I didn't care. You know, I was like, you know, like, this is your life, chick. Like, you know, you're 50 and making 50K. Like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know what I mean? It just, I, I was like, I knew that was never going to be my destiny was to work at a 24-hour fitness, you know? So, that, and nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, uh, I, met, I made some good friends. Actually, some people I still talk to, uh, actually. But I was in the, so I was like, all right, whatever. And then I left and I went and worked for the surf shop and, and I had an incredible time and had some incredible experiences doing that. So it was a blessing in disguise. So as you're getting closer to graduation, what were you finding passions in or what were you hoping to find career-wise as a job? No idea. What were you going to college for? Uh, no idea. No idea. Yeah. I literally had no idea. I just knew that I had to go and I had to get this piece of paper. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought that I wanted to become a chiropractor. Um, that seemed like a lot of school and I didn't want to get myself into a bunch of debt, um, any more than I already had. So I decided not to go that route. And, uh, my roommate at the time was a little bit older than me. 
um, he was been in the military and got out and went back to school. So he was like six or seven years older than me. And he goes, Hey man, you should get a degree. Like I have, I'm doing social sciences. He's like, it's great. Cause you can, you can learn about communication or political science or history. And I was actually really into political science. I really, I did really thoroughly enjoy that in history, but you can't really do much with it unless you're a lawyer or a teacher. Um, so I just got a degree in that. And I was like, well, shit, hopefully this works out. <laughs> So after graduation, what was next for you? So the one thing the surf shop did do uh, before we parted ways um, was that they actually, it's interesting because you think of like Sun, uh, PacSun and Tilly's and those types of stores, right? And then they pay you eight, nine bucks an hour. Well, this one is the largest surf retailer in um, San Diego County and they pay people hourly, but they also pay them commission, like a small percentage. And so that was the first time I really like was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I can control how much I make based how much I sell. And so I, I was so always strapped for money that I, I was like, I, you know, I ended up working my up to become an assistant manager. And so I was making like 13, 15 an hour. But with my commission, I was making like 23 bucks an hour, which to me was like an amazing amount of money, at, you know, at 21, 22, 23. Um, and, and then I end up being like, I got into their top sales club a couple of years in a row. And then I was like a number one producer for the store I worked at. And so then I was like, oh, well, maybe the sales thing, I should like, you know, look into this more. I didn't really know it was like a big career avenue. Um, and then so when I graduated college, a friend said, hey, you should check out Enterprise Rent-A-Car. It's a great um, training program for college graduates. And they teach you how to sell and how to run a business. And I go, well, I want to be an entrepreneur one day and I'm already pretty good at the selling thing. So, okay, I'll go do that. And so I, I went, I went and worked at enterprise rent a car for two years after college. What's the biggest thing that you learned about yourself going through that program? Enterprise. Yes. Um, it, it showed me just kind of, we talked about with the work ethic thing that I was just able to outwork all of my peers. You know, th- those hours there are, 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 are grueling. Um, you're, we got into the office at six 30 and we're typically done at six 37, uh, Monday through Friday. And then you had to usually work every other Saturday. And so like, I was like, Oh, I get Sunday off. And that was like a big deal. Cause normally I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else is like, Oh my God, I'm working 12 hour days. And like, I gotta come in on Saturday. And I was like, yeah, well, what? <laughs> I get a day off now. This is, this is amazing. Um, so, so that was the first time where I just, I, I like, I, I started connecting myself with the top producers and I would go and interview them and I would ask my bosses out to lunch, like my boss's boss's boss. I'd ask them out to lunch, um, something my aunt had told me to do and, you know, and, and get around successful people and be around successful people, learn what they did. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to learn from them. And then, and so I did that and I got promoted uh, three times in the two years I was there. And so that gave me a lot of confidence um, and it taught me a lot about sales. And so that kind of where my, my career started to lift off. Was there anything that you learned in college that helped you when you were working for enterprise? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, um, how to connect with people. You know, when I moved to San Diego, I didn't know a single person. And, and you know, like working at the surf shop, you know, learning how to just build rapport quickly, being the new kid on the block is because, you know, it sounds crazy and not a lot of people had the experience I did, but most of the kids I graduated high school with, I started with in kindergarten. Wow. Like 80% of the kids I started kindergarten with, I graduated high school with. So literally in my entire life, I'd never had to make new friends. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they'd always been my friends. And, and so going to college, that was, you know, it seems silly to say, but like, I never had to make friends before, <laughs> you know? So, you know, so those, those skills of learning how to uh, apply, you know, how do you do that? And, and that all translates um, to sales, how to strike up a conversation, how to find commonalities, how to read tonality, body language, that speed of language, all those things that you kind of, a lot of people do on a subconscious level. Some do much better than others. Uh, taught me some great life skills. You basically were networking before like networking platforms was even a thing during those times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I had to, you know, because I was like, I want to hang out with people, you know, and so I just, I would strike up conversations with people at the gym or in my classes. Um, you know, I found like an open, um, uh, and uh, what, what do they call that? An open gym, basketball, mm-hmm. they play on Wednesday nights, like a men's league. So I just joined that and just got put on a team and, you know, met, met people there, just did stuff that was, I'd go down to local parks and just play and pick up games and meet people there things that were much, very much out of my comfort zone, but then I was able to start to build a tribe and, and that taught me some skills. Playing those pickup games, was that your way of saying, I'm still playing basketball, but it may not be for the NBA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just, you know, I just love the sport. Um, I built a, um, in my backyard, uh, we've got a little half court. And so um, not quite a half court, but, you know, so I, I still enjoy because I have to go out there and play with my kids. I see your Instagram videos with your kids playing. I'm like, he's probably going to make them become NBA players. It's the live out his dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're headed there. And it's, it's really ironic. One of my, my neighbor, um, her dad is Rudy Tomdanovich. And, okay. and, and so for those that don't know who Rudy, Rudy T is, he, he coached the Rockets to two, uh, to two championships and, and played in the NBA for a long time. And so we got, we got some good basketball genes floating around our, our neighborhood. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So after the enterprise, were they trying to keep you full time? But I, I've heard about this program where they kind of take you somewhere else and you just continue doing running that, I guess, shop or something. Or were you trying to look at what was that next path you wanted to take? You know, um, it's a good question, Alex. I came out of college at a really terrible time. So I graduated college in 2007. And uh, so I walked into a shitstorm of mm-hmm. an economy. And, um, yeah. it, and, and so as I got promoted with enterprise, I really did see myself being a career person there because I, I love the culture and I liked that Everybody starts as a management trainee. Every single person that's ever worked there starts in the same position. So anybody that's at the top, you have an immense amount of respect because you know that they earned it. They didn't come from the outside. You know, they weren't handed the position. It was all based on your ability um, which I uh, really appreciated, but because of the economy, I wasn't making any money. And so I was number three out of 300 um, as far as reps. And then when I got into management, I turned around two stores and, um, and it had not been, it wasn't an enterprise's fault. It's just that industry got crushed. And so um, I had to start looking for other opportunities and I had a friend that was working in insurance. And so I got sucked over there um, or I probably would have stayed to be honest. Was the focus more about having that stability and security with money than trying to live out a passion of yours? hundred percent. Yeah. I was total scarcity mindset. It took me so many years to try to unprogram myself from that. Um, you know, cause at that point, so I was living in San Diego and I, you know, <laughs> and I was living with a couple and we had a two bedroom condo and our rent was 1400 bucks a month. And my portion was six and theirs was eight. And my first paycheck with Enterprise, my net take home was seven hundred. 
in it. So that would give me a hundred bucks to live on for two weeks. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And I'm, and I was crushing them. I was crushing their metrics. And, and so just like, man, I can't, I can't, I've lived my entire life this way. I'm 25. I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't do it. And so I, I had to find, I had to find something different. Well, especially with California and like how much cost of living is a hundred dollars wouldn't last that long. No, it, it, it didn't. And I, you know, I wasn't like I was able to ever improve my savings, mm-hmm. you know, still at that time, I probably had 1200, 1300 bucks in my savings account. With the insurance company, were you always trying to think in the back of your head, how can I turn my career now into an entrepreneur? Or was it a slow build to finally get to that moment? Yeah, no, I always thought that I could. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. That was kind of like what I always thought I would end up doing. Um, But I just, you know, I had a hard time trying to find my passion, I guess. And so insurance was great because then I, you know, I went from one year making 40 grand to the next year making 140 grand. So that was life changing for me um, getting into insurance. Uh, but I still was like, I wanted to do something, you know, different and being a little bit more uh, in, in control. And it wasn't really until I met my wife and um, my father-in-law has been a really, he's a serial entrepreneur and done very well that he really kind of helped me get some clarity on, uh, on my own interest that I could take advantage of. And so it was, it took me, it took me a while to get there. Did you ever worry that with the big increase in money that you would not be able to stay secured with how much you had, or you would be spending a lot more than you were usually doing? um, Yes and no. So, you know, it's interesting because most people, when they do level up their income, they level up their bills. Um, I've always been a voracious reader. You can kind of see my books behind me. And so I, I just, I started to read more as I got into my mid and late twenties and I started to, you know, and I had some people kind of in my ear, like, Hey, you make this man, like learn to live on your salary and take those bonus checks and put them away, you know, start a Roth IRA, start your 401k, you know, start to get some, a little bit of cushion in your life. And so I took their advice um, and I started to do those things for myself. So I wasn't quite in this, in the scarcity mentality, um, but e- even now I- I'm still, I-, I still, I still have to like talk myself out of being freaked out, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like my wife will, you know, it's like, um, sh- she'll tell me like, Ty, you haven't taken a day off, you know, like quite some time. Like it's okay. We're okay. It's okay. You know, you could take some days off. So, um, that, that's still, it's, I've just hardwired program that way to just think that, uh, yeah, I, I can lose it at any moment. So I got to keep pushing. I'm the same way. I think when it comes to financials, I i mean, you can ask any of my friends, they're like, you're always so worried about it. But I, I've grown up in a time where my family sometimes didn't have the money. And I'm like, I don't want to repeat that in my life. But the same situation with taking a day off, I just enjoy being busy and working. And then last week I took, I didn't do anything. Like, I mean, besides work, but I came home and it was like, wow. I needed this. It's kind of like a mental reset, but then I'm like, well, I want to get back into it. And it's just, you do what's best for you. But you talked about earlier that you and your wife lived completely different lives growing up. Were you able to be honest with what you were going through to her? And how did she react to that? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think that if you can't be completely transparent with your significant other, then it's not a real genuine relationship, you know, and a lot of people, unfortunately, it's a huge contributor to divorce. Like you're, you're truly living with somebody that you don't know, um, which tends to lead people to seek validation in other places and, and can destroy a marriage. And so I've always been radically transparent with her, with the things that I went through as a kid and, you know, my, my mindset, my mentality, but she always knew that I wanted to create my life. And she's seen that I, I work hard at personal development and, and overcoming those things. Um, yeah. So we, we got on the same page about it. And if anything, she's been um, someone that's been in, inspiring because, you know, she started several business. She has one right now. She, she's, she's an entrepreneur. And um, so the way that she views things will give me security because of the way that, you know, I can look at her and she's like not freaked out. Like we, I go, well, you saw, we saw on my Instagram, so we just did her backyard. Right. So that is, the, that was a lot of money, but we dropped 30 grand in my backyard. And, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, like what? We can't get it done for 10 from somebody, you know? <laughs> and she's like, Ty, it should, it should cost 60. I got us a deal, oh, you know? Wow. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, it's not a big deal. Like we've got, we've got plenty of cash. Like it's just get it done you know, enhance the quality of our life and our kids' life and that type of stuff. And I was coming from a different place where she's like, spend the money. And I was like, oh my God, I need the money. You know, so I still have to and overcome that, um, th- those things. And she's really good at helping me w- walk through them. Was she that t- person that you needed in your life to kind of let you know that you can take those risks in a way and be able to do what you want to do? Yeah, definitely her and, and, and her dad, uh, for sure. And, and I would say definitely my aunt. Um, because if you don't take the risk and you don't do the things like then you, then you don't ever grow and you don't have new experiences. And it's, I get so much pleasure now watching my kids play back there and we've had friends over for barbecues and you know, like that's worth all the money to me and, and I'll get it back at, you know, the house is an investment. So, you know, I'll get the money back. So talk about what was that first entrepreneurial, uh, job that you had or that company that you had? Yeah, so it was a company called Craft Loyal that no longer exists, sadly. It's a very sad story. Um, but I, you know, I said I worked in the surf industry for a lot of years. And um, and so, you know, the surf industry is comprised of lifestyle brands, Quicksilver, O'Neill, you know, Ruka, um, th- those types of companies. And uh, and so I got into making beer. I got into being a home brewer. And that was actually because my, my father-in-law owned a chain of restaurants. And he goes, well, why don't you make beer? And you know, learn how to do that. And then we can just put your beer in my, my restaurants and you can start your own business. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I'd be really into that. Cause I was like, really, I, you know, I grew up, I mean, I grew, I grew up, but I lived in San Diego for 10 years. My, where my house was, um, was a half mile from stone brewing company, which then was still coming up. And now they're one of the top five biggest brewers in the world. Um, and, and so I, I got exposed to craft beer at a young age and I could appreciate it and, and what it, you know, what it took to, to make. And so as I got into making it, I just got more into the industry and, and all that. And so I go, Hey man, there's like these beer snobs are really hardcore into their glassware, like wine snobs are. Mm-hmm. And I go, and there's also, there's no one making cool beer gear for like beer enthusiasts, which there are a ton. There's a ton of people in that niche. And so I go, well, if like, maybe I just make proper glassware and we can sell apparel with it, but it has like that, like you can see my shepherd fairy posters behind me, Yeah, you know? So that's, you know, the founder of obey. Um, and, uh, I had best known probably for doing that picture of Obama back in 08 and the change. And, um, 
it's like a well if i just take like an obey type edginess but have it all incorporated with um beer motif i wonder if people would be into that so i hit up my best friend that was a designer and his his roommate happened to be a programmer coder and i said hey like let's form this company and build a website you know and we did and it ended up popping sold in 50 different countries all over the world uh, every state the united states uh, got invited to go to you know the great american beer festival and attended all kinds of events in southern california and it was it was really cool what's the biggest thing that running that company taught you about yourself um, I'm much more of a creative than I thought. Um, and, um, I think that was probably the biggest thing. Cause I already knew I had the work ethic, you know, I knew I had the drive and cause that was hard. Cause I was still working full time and my wife had started her first business and, and we, and we just got married and we just had our first kid. So there was like a lot, there was a lot of moving pieces in my life, but we were able to, to work through it, but probably just that creative outlet. I really, um, I really learned a lot for myself that like, I have a pretty good creative eye and, and enjoy that aspect of it. Was that creative outlet always that missing piece that you didn't have before, or was it something that was always, you were learning over time? Yeah, I would always kind of like, you know, before I had basketball, I was a doodler. I would draw a lot as an outlet and an escape. And then I kind of like, got replaced. And so I think I kind of came back to that, those creative outlets that I had more as a child. As you were getting to the end of that company, because you mentioned that it's no longer around, what was the mindset going for you? So, you know, a lot of things happened. So one of my uh, good friends in Southern California had started a, a CrossFit subscription box, which still exists now, Gains Box. Shout out to them. It's the largest uh, CrossFit subscription box in the world now. And so my, my friend, I remember me and my friend, Brian, we were talking about it and he, we're out at this wedding and we're actually in Newport, we're on a yacht. And it was just, you know, and he was like, I'm going to start this company. And it's going to, you know, we're going to be killing it like you are, blah, blah, blah. And he went like 10 X, like he, they, they went, they went big and they went big quick. And so he came to me and said, Hey man, we want to, we want to take your brand and, and, and do what we've done. We've got all the analytics and we've got some good connections with some good marketing people, but you got to dump your business partner. He's dead weight. And he was, and, um, and so I went through this process of trying to buy him out and he wouldn't budge. He's like, he didn't have a lot going for him. I made the, I made a huge mistake of the wrong business partner, which is a lifelong lesson I'll, I'll never forget. So then I, in, in turn, basically said, Hey man, if you're not going to let me grow this thing, cause you don't have any money, I've got money. I want to grow it. I've got guys that want to invest. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dissolve it and I'll just start another one. And I thought that would scare him. Didn't budge. So we went through this battle for six months. Long story short, he ended up buying me out. And then he ended up selling it to a, um, a, to a brewery. And then, you know, it kind of just, I don't know, they just fizzled from there and the brewery just shut it down eventually. Was it hard to see it go into the hands of someone else and not in your control? Or are you happy about the experience it had taught you and prepared you for that next step in your life? <sighs> yeah, no, I'm definitely not happy with the outcome of it. Um, I'm grateful for the experience. For sure. I mean, it taught me a lot, but it was um, not not happy about it because I know that if I could have somehow made that separation or been more diligent or just hung in there longer and worn him out, that um, it would it would be a multi multi million dollar business today. Did you have a friendship with that guy or did it kind of dissolve over time and you were just more business partners? Yes. And I honestly was my best friend for 10 years and uh, I knew that we had different work ethics. 
And that should have been my first red flag. But I thought that by bringing him along, he'd be inspired to work how I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And it was never the case. Did it hurt that friendship having those six months of hard time going back and forth with the uh, giving it up or taking it over? Oh yeah. I haven't talked to him in four years. Wow. Yeah. Like no longer friends. Yeah. That cost us their friendship. It, for some people that are going through something similar where they're working with their best friends, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of prepare them for negative outcomes that could happen? I would just say, you know, the biggest thing, it's, it's okay to partner with people that maybe don't have your intensity or your work ethic or your drive. But what you need to do is make, you know, one, you got to have very clear, defined roles of who's doing what in the company And if you know that someone doesn't have the same drive and push you're going to, then you got to have an equity split based on sweat equity. Mm -hmm. And that can be very hard to determine up front. But if they're that good of a friend or a family member, you should already know that instinctively. So I should have done a a 20, instead of 50-50, I should have done a 70-30 split or 80-20 split. And I knew that in my heart. But because he was my best friend for 10 years, I felt like obligated to give him 50% of the company, which I never should have. Do you feel that he took advantage of the situation with having 50%? For sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Moving on from that company, what was that next path for you? So I helped my brother start up a little fly fishing company and that was just, you know, um, he, he, he still runs it. I, I got, I got out of it. I just, you know, I wanted to help him get a lift up off the ground. Um, and so he's, um, passionate fly fisherman and, um, you know, he's been in books, you know, for his, his, the way he does his own ties and whatnot. And he, he's, he's really talented. And, uh, so I helped him start a, a little company and then I backed off of it. Now I've obviously, I've helped my wife with, with both of hers. And then I just launched into doing the, the some consulting work now on the side. What did you feel was the best impact that you've made with your consulting company? You know, taking someone who was making 50 or $60,000 and then helping them get to that level of 100, 110, 140, 160, you know, I've had um, you know, a handful of people I've helped do that. And and when you can double your income, it's life-changing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and watching people uh, do that. And, and, you know, buy their first house, you know, buy their first BMW, you know, feel confident to go drop 10 K on an engagement ring, those types of things, um, you know, really fills me up, you know, a lot. What feels that you set yourself apart from any other consultants in the world right now? You know, to be honest with you, uh, and this is not a knock on anybody. It doesn't mean that people don't have an ex- ex- extensive amount of knowledge, but you know, a lot of the coaches and consultants have never sold. They give you theory from books and shit that they've read. You know, if you go to my LinkedIn page, you can see my track record. You can see my awards because I list them. You know, I've been a top producer and a top producing manager at every single company I've ever worked at. And so my track record record speaks for itself. Not a lot of guys can tell you that, hey, yeah, I've been number one in the country. You know, like last year, uh, the, the, the last company I was with. Uh, that office that I had taken over, they asked me to come to Houston to take it over and to revamp it. In the middle of COVID, I grew that business $10 million and up 74% year over year. Wow. You know, um, and so I, I, would, I would, 
most consultants out there are not going to have stories like that. I feel like a lot of people can, and taking that kind of consultant side, people can relate where you sometimes have like a manager that hasn't been in your shoes or doesn't understand what you've gone through in a situation. And it's hard to kind of get motivated in a way, but for you, you have that experience. So when people come to you, they know that you have the knowledge and that you know what you're talking about. You're not coming up with those theories or any way. You actually have been in the fight to grow companies and grow in sales and everything. Yeah, 100% growing my own. You know, um, I don't help my wife very much uh, because she, <laughs> she, she, she's, so, she, you know, she's a total alpha little bulldog. Um, but, you know, we talk a lot about, we bounce ideas off of one another and, and strategize a lot. And she's doing fantastic. I mean, she started her business in the middle of COVID and I was hiring her first two employees after being open for seven months. Um, you know, so yeah, it's just having that experience of building culture, building metrics, building processes, building systems. You can read about that, but to go and actually do it, yeah, it's, it's a completely different skill set. So you talked about changing, basically going from California to being in Houston. What has been the biggest thing that has helped you by living in Houston? Uh, it, you know, it's um, it's interesting. It's not as pretentious, although you do get a bit of that. And this is not for all Californians, great Californians. Obviously, I'm a native, so I don't want to talk a bunch of shit. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I just tell you this. So my first night here, or one of my first night, it was one of my first my first month in Houston. And uh, we rented a place because we didn't know what area we wanted to live in. We want to fill up the, the, the city. So um, we, and we actually don't live a mile away now. And we love this area. And so my neighbor was watching... Consequently, I grew up a Golden State Warrior fan because I grew up, you know, 80 miles north of San Francisco. And um, they were playing the Rockets in the playoffs. And I heard my neighbor over there and he's got a pool. He got this like, you know, big TV out there and, you know, and uh, he's got a bunch of friends over and I could tell they're having a good time. And I was outside in our backyard watching it on my phone because I just didn't want to be inside. It was a beautiful night. And and so I just like. I just cruised. I was like, I've been drinking a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I had a couple beers, you know, so I got a liquid courage and I, I cruised over to his, his, his fence. And I knocked on his fence and, and he opens up and he goes, Hey, you the neighbor guy. And I go, oh, yeah, man, my name is, my name's Ty. And he goes, I'm Kevin. He goes, come on in. And he goes, Oh, you brought beer. Good man. And he's like, well, don't worry. We've got a shitload of that. And then, you know, next thing I know it's two 30 in the morning, me and Kevin are on a golf cart looking for alligators on our, on the golf course we live on. You know, and I was just like, yeah, but that's just, you know, just how Texas people are. A lot of them, they're just they're super warm and welcoming. And, you know, it's not a pissing contest like you get a lot in Southern California with who drives what and how much money you got, you know, how fake is your wife, you know, how much plastic she got on her, you know, so, <laughs> um, so, so I've enjoyed that part about Texas. That sounds like a fun night, except I wouldn't want to find an alligator if I was driving in a golf cart. No, it was stupid. Uh, but we did have fun driving around the golf cart, and we never found the alligator, thank God. They're, they're all in the bayou. But I think that's so true and nowadays with, again, social media nowadays, where everyone's taking a photo of their fancy new gadgets, their new cars, and it kind of makes people start feeling bad for themselves because, oh, I don't have that, or I'm not living that lifestyle. And people are trying not to be authentic. And it sounds like when you were in, you went up right to that person, kind of like with sales, you never spoke to that neighbor, but you just knocked on that door and you kind of ended up finding a bond in what you guys were watching. 
hundred percent. I think it's what life's about, man. It's, it's about knocking on doors. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, um, <laughs> I, there's this, this saying I heard that I really loved that, you know, if, if someone closes the door on you, go through the window, you know, it's always about creating your own opportunity in life. You know, life doesn't know you anything was, a, you know, a post that I put on Instagram yesterday because it doesn't, you know, you get from life exactly, you know, what you put into it. And people have a hard time accepting that. And that's why we get this cancel culture, victim type mentality. It's just like, you know, you got to go take stuff and you got to open up your own doors and you got to be, you know, uh, at least a wherewithal to accept when a door is open for you. Cause a lot of times people will be scared to walk through them. So for me with life, it's just like, yeah, why, why wouldn't I go knock on it? It could, I could meet my best friend. You don't know. I think that's so true because now it and I kind of live by the motto of like with rejection, like you can't be afraid to try something and regret not trying. I think especially with my show and getting guests, it's like you kind of have to reach out there and find people. You never know who will say yes. And I have found people that I've looked up to, I've watched on TV, I've idolized and they've said yes. And I'm speaking, having conversations with them. And I never thought in a million years I would be doing that. And it's all about the like your motto, you got to find your own opportunities in a way. And it's so rewarding when you're able to accomplish something that you didn't know you could do it at the beginning. A thousand percent, Alex. Most people are waiting for someone to come knock on their door and say, hey, here's an opportunity. That shit doesn't happen. And so they let life pass them by. They get resentful. They get angry. They develop addiction, drinking problems. They go cheat on their spouse because they think that, you know, the grass is always greener as opposed to just taking life by the balls and going to create their own opportunities. And that could be scary. could be fearful, but you know, it's like, what would you, I don't want to die with regrets. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Ed Milet talks about that when he dies that he wants God to introduce him or no, he says that when he dies, he doesn't, he doesn't ever want God to introduce him to the man he was supposed to be. He wants him to get up there, you know, whatever you're, I'm not, you know, like, I don't want to go into Christianity or spiritual realm, but whatever God is to you, right. The cosmos, universe, whatever it is. um, They'd be like, great job, man. Like you maxed out on all the gifts that I gave you. Mm -hmm. And so that's just kind of what I'm after is just maxing out my own potential, whatever that is. I think we both can, I think both of us are similar in a way where we're not waiting for things to get handed to us. We're going to go out there and get what we want, or at least try to go get what we want. A hundred percent. At least you tried. At least you can say like, I'm, I'm never going to be left with the lingering question of what if. Yep. I, I, I don't want ever to have to say that. What if this happened? I'm going to be like, what now, what am I going to do to make it happen? hundred percent. So talk about your podcast that you host. What is the mission and what are you hoping the listeners get out of it when they're listening to it? Great question. Um, so the podcast, I, you know, probably like you has been an interesting journey for me. I started it three years ago and it was because um, I truly believe in the law of reciprocity of giving back as much as possible. And, um, and, and I, you can see, like, I try to get on social and post as much as I can, but there's days I like, I just totally forget. <laughs> you know, I just totally forget because it's like, I get so tunnel visioned. And so with the podcast, I was like, well, it started as a YouTube channel. And I was like, I'm good at sales. I know that I'm good at sales. I've helped a lot of people. I want to be able to reach more people and I want to be able to help and impact people's lives and help them make more money, 
change the quality of their lives. I don't want them to felt like I, I, how I felt as a child. I don't want people to go through that. And so it was a way for me to be able to just info dump on the knowledge that I had. And so the first 95 episodes, man, I didn't have anybody on. It was just me talking and five to 15 minutes about my morning routines or you know, how to get out of a slump or how to get around a gatekeeper. And then as it grew, I uh, people started asking me, I'm sure like, you, you know, people hit you up um, and said, Hey, you know, you got a platform. Can I come on it? And then it kind of morphed into like, oh, well, I bet like people probably tired of hearing about my journey. Um, and I, and my journey is unique to me, but there's always so much I can tell people over and over in just 30 different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was like, maybe I get some other guys on here and, and gals on here that have their own unique life experiences and skill sets I don't have and make more of an impact. And so I started doing that about eight months ago and that's helped the podcast to explode, to be honest with you. So it shows that people like other people more than me. What's the biggest thing you try to get out of when you're interviewing a guest? You know, like you've done a great job uh, interviewing me. I want to commend you for that because you ask very thoughtful and insightful questions that are sincere. So I, I really appreciate that about you. Um, and, and so I try to, yeah, you know, try to do, I'm probably not as, as skilled as you are at it, um, but you know, Don't I put to, that pressure on me, <laughs> but I just try to dig a little bit, like ask, ask, you know, fair questions, but they can be hard questions that people can really actually get info from that they can apply in their life or they can apply in their business, you know? I think for me, the one thing I always do with every guest is I try to get one thing I can learn from them that I can utilize in my life. And every guest, even if we're in completely different lifestyles, industries, I'm always able to take something that they've learned or that they've shared and utilize it in my life. And I think that's the best thing. I love learning. That's why I love talking to people. And I think during this time where we're all like, obviously you and I are not in the same state, but the power of Zoom or video call, we're able to learn from each other and connect and networking and the power of social media. And I think that's the best part that this has given me. This platform is learning. I mean, no one comes into something knowing everything. I, even me, I can admit to that, but we could always learn something new every day. hundred percent. And I think people should be striving to do that. I mean, you know, it's crazy. I, how many people I made my team last year and I, it was one, I think one of the keys to our success was um, that th- nobody reads anymore. That, yeah, that, yeah. Nobody reads. And, and so I made my team do a book club and they all bitched about it. Right. And, <laughs> and I go, yo, read, all you got to do a 300 page book. You read 10 pages a day. It'll take you 15 minutes and it'll change your fucking life. And, and now it's funny because every single person on that team reads every day without, like, I don't even work there and I know they're reading because they're texting me about books and they're shooting me books and they're buying me books, right? Which is great. I got a, a great library. Um, but yeah, you should learn every day, every day. I'd probably be one of those employees complaining about reading because the only thing I read is social media posts, but one of my friends wrote a book and it was like the first book I picked up in like years, but I got a message from a friend that says, oh, you're in this book. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm reading this whole book, trying to find that one part that I'm <laughs> in, but it's kind of like nice. Cause it's kind of like, you're not looking at your phone. You're not on your computer. You're not watching TV, but it's peace and quiet. And but don't tell my mom I said that because she'd be like, you don't read. And I'd be like, well, things change nowadays. <laughs> things change. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, one of the best things you can do too, if you get in the habit of reading 
if you're listening to this, uh, you read the 10 pages, take out a journal, and then write down the one thing that you learned. Because taking the pen to paper helps to submit it into, you know, into action. I, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's like you have a, a 70% retention if, if you actually write it down. So I, after I read my 10 pages, I journal. And, and that really helps to cement what I just learned in my takeaways. That must be why I didn't do well in English classes because I wasn't <laughs> retaining it. Also, probably the books were not inter- interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back at your career and your journey so so far, is there anything that you would have done differently, or do you enjoy the outcome because it has a taught it's taught a lot about yourself? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say you know when I first got into insurance and even a little bit with enterprise, I wish I would have pushed myself a little bit harder. You know, I, I relied a lot on my skill. My, my natural born ability. Um, I think that I'm a pretty decent listener. I've gotten a lot better. Um, I think I can conversate pretty well with people and make people feel at ease uh, with having them open up to me. And, and so in and the EQ we talked about, so those things came naturally, but I didn't really like set up scripts and learn talk tracks. And I wasn't super keyed on the metrics. And a part of me Never thought I'd be a corporate America guy. So I kind of had this chip on my shoulder, like, fuck them. They don't really care about me. So whatever, I'll fucking, you know, I'm going to get mine. And then I don't really give a shit if I, like, I always made the, the top producer trips and stuff, but I didn't ever push to be number one. I'd be like top 10 out of 800, which is great, but I, I could have been number one. And so I look back and go, no, I should have been pushing myself because I would have learned more about myself a lot sooner had I, had I really gone all in on myself and really tried to hone my craft much earlier in my career. Do you feel that to push yourself, you needed someone to help you push yourself? Like, I know some people like to have competitions, like fun games with a coworker to see who can do the most. Do you feel that you needed that or someone in your corner pushing you? Or do you think that there is a different way that could have pushed you? I think it's important to have mentors. And I think that if I would have had the right mentor who would have been in my ear to say, like, hey, you're capable of more and you're letting yourself down right now, um, that, that probably would have made me be a bit more self-critical about what I was doing. Um, I, you know, I do like to compete um, a lot, you know, um, but it, that whole saying that it's always you versus you is very true, right? Because I think that sometimes it, the skill sets are uniquely different. And I've seen a lot of people do this and, and they'll be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to crush you this year. And I'm like, you just like, there are some people that I'm like, yeah, you'll probably beat me. There's other people I'm like, you won't fucking come close to me because we have different skill sets. Right. And so it's not about beating me. It's not about me being a better else. It's, you know, it, it's about just being a little bit better every day. Like, you know, we're talking, and I have that, you can't, you can't see my, my arm, but on the inside of my arm here, I have, I have every day written in Gaelic um, as, as a reminder tattooed on my arm that every day is going to be a little bit better. And so it's just, um, it's like, it's like I heard Ed Milet talking about this again, Ed Milet. I'm in the, the art, you saw the Arte syndicate. So, um, uh, you know, he's talking about a thermostat and a lot of people sit at 75, you know, but if you can get to 77 and break through and feel comfortable there, then you're going to stay at 77 because you know, we have this thing that homeostasis in our mind that, you know, by the time we're seven, we've already kind of made up our self belief of what we're going to do in life. And unless you rewire your brain, most people have identified themselves. I'm only worth 60 grand. And so they may lose their job and they'll go find another job that makes 55 or 60, but they'll never find one that makes 80 or hundred. 
Mm-hmm. Right. But if you have a job that makes a quarter of a million dollars, you lose that job. Sure shit, you're gonna find another job that makes a quarter million dollars. So, you know, it's to break through that governor or, you know, to get to that next level, the thermostat, I think you got to keep pushing yourself and growing a little bit every day um, and get a little bit uncomfortable. And people have a hard time with that. And, um, and I didn't do that in my 20s. And I've done that in my 30s. And since then, you know, my life's exploded with a lot more success. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next few years? Um, you know, professionally, it's a great question. I'm not sure. You know, I'm just kind of, and I've got, you know, I write down my goals every morning and, um, you know, like, I don't know if you want, I'll read them, but, you know, I mean, my, my goals, um, you know, my, my, one of my goals this year is to make 750,000. Um, but I put, I will make 750,000 plus, um, I will be worth, uh, $50 million by the time I'm 45. I will weigh 185. That's my wife's request, not mine. I'm, I'm one. <laughs> I'm 199 right now. Um, I will have a million downloads for my podcast. Um, I will own several rental properties and I will continue to be the best husband and father that I can be. And so I write those down every day. And so I don't know that I have a particular, like I need to be a CEO of this or that. It's just like, I keep trying to manifest those types of opportunities. And when new opportunities come into my life, then I, you know, I'm not afraid to, to walk into them and, and, uh, and see what they, you know, um, bring me. Do you feel with them being written down, it pushes yourself and makes you stride to want to accomplish them more? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and it's one of those things that, um, it keeps it front of mind, but also, you know, I write it in the first person as though I've already accomplished it because the brain cannot tell the difference between you visualizing something and what is reality. Right. And so the more that I can visualize myself and tell myself that I've already done it, the more that it will be so because my brain will not be able to distinguish the difference between me thinking it and, and, and it actually happening. The final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and experience, for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to accomplish their goals, overcome obstacles, and rise to the challenge? To uh, lean into your fears. That's that's always my message. Um, Every time that I've been scared to do something and I've leaned into it, which has been a lot in my life, my life has gotten exponentially better. Um, and I can give you two quick examples. When I was living in Southern California, I got a great job opportunity, but it was in Atlanta before I came to Houston. And I had to take a six-figure pay cut in order to potentially make a lot more. And I had to move across the country. Uh, My wife sold her business. So I went from two incomes to one plus minus down six figures. Plus I dropped hundred K on, on my house and renovating my house. So then I was fucking like, oh shit, I just spent a shitload of cash. And I got two small kids that depend on me and a family. And that was very, and I never lived in the, in the East coast, you know? So there was like so many, like, just like, Oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I just kept leaning in, dude, you gotta do this, man. You gotta do this. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. You got no other choice. And I did. And um, I crushed it. And, and uh, I leveled up on every single level and, and did the same thing when I moved here to Houston, did the same thing. When I took this, this new, this new gig, did a um, new VP gig, um, same thing. You know, I was making fantastic money. Most people would never walk away when I just walked away from, but it was to get to the next level. And um, so I just, I'm just not going to sit and rest. And uh, it, it, even then I was scared shitless. 
walking into what I'm walking into right now, completely scared. But I was just like, I just got to lean in, got to lean in. And a lot of people, they don't lean in and then they lead mediocre lives and they look back and they have that, fuck, what if, what if I would have moved and done something abroad? What if I would have started that business I always thought about? What if I would have started that podcast? We'll just fucking do it. Be scared. It's almost like the, like kind of like the butterfly effect in a way. Like you kind of have those moments where you're like, what if I went in that direction? What would my life be like? And I think that's the hardest people that they live in fear because they don't want to make the wrong decision. But nowadays you learn from those decisions that you make that don't go exactly how you thought it would be. 100%. Yeah, dead on. Well, Tizer, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Alex, likewise. I'm excited to continue to watch your journey, man. You're doing a great job. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.